Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's focus in, Matt, on what we're seeing in Bitcoin and the cryptos, and we do that with our good friend, uh, Mike McGlone, he's a uh, strategy, uh, commodity strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. Mike, what do you make of the trading here today? I'm just looking at my GIP function for Bitcoin, and it, it hit 30,000, and then it bounced right back up pretty significantly. What do you make of the trading today? I, I completely agree with Kathy Wood that this is a capitulation. It's a market backing up to decent support levels in a significantly fundamental bull market. So let's look at the iterations going forward. This is more macroeconomic at the, mo at the moment. To me, the bigger issue here is mean reversion in the stock market. Bitcoin has just been the high beta indicating it. And then you also can see that in the rest of the cryptos. They're down almost double how much Bitcoin is today. So yeah, look at the yeah, iterations right. going forward. If the stock market goes down and stays down for a while, it's a virtual guarantee that there's only one thing the Fed can do. They have to buy more bonds. What is that good for? Bonds, gold, and Bitcoin. They will be the primary beneficiaries. So I think the key point Kathy Wood make, made about deflationary trends, to me, that's the biggest factor that's really kicking in here. Why is crude oil down 5%? Because the only thing that's been holding up is this riding, ri rise, this, this rising tide. Now, if the tide's starting to ebb, we're going to see who's not wearing clothes. And I think <laughs> it's going to be Bitcoin, gold, and bonds to benefit. Again, Again, for, you know, a key thing to leave you on is I think we're going to look back at this and say that that joke coin, that hustle, Dogecoin, it marked the peak of speculative froth in virtual all global markets. What what is driving this selling? Can we look across because you can track which wallets are, you know, trading cash. People say it's anonymous, but it's really pseudonymous. Is there any way to know? who's pushing these prices down how it's happening well it's that's um it depends on why you want to know and, I, and one thing matt i've always looked at it from a market guy being in trade pits i look at and that is trying to define exactly who is doing it and why is is less important than figuring out what's the purpose and what's going on and to me the main thing that's really happening is this is massive speculative leverage longs getting hit in their stops and you know as an ex-trader used to be in a trading pit and traded with a lot more leverage in futures than you see <laughs> most markets you know leverage is down there and a paid trading picks is 21, 20 to 1 minimal. You know, I have little sympathy for speculators getting stopped out, but oftentimes they mark the peaks and the trolls, and that's what I think is happening now. And then when, you know, the dust settles, we're going to see the fundamentals kick in, and that's where I see Bitcoin versus everything else. Now, Ethereum's okay, but then there's a, a 10,000 other cryptos. Now, we all know from the dot-com bubble, there's pretty good signs of speculative excess, but then there's only one digital gold in the world going digital. And by the way, Bitcoin's still up 27% in the year. Guess how much Tesla's down? 21%. <laughs> Matt, can't you picture Mike McGlone in commodities pitch trading? Yeah, Elbows no, flying. absolutely. I also would <laughs> love to, to be there myself. I mean, that's... Uh, those were the days. Uh, I, I wonder if we still have the same kind of commodity pits or the same kind of open outcry trading anywhere in the world. Is it dead everywhere? It's dead everywhere, but I'd like to say the five years I spent in the Chicago Board of Trade is more than anything I learned as in an MBA, CFA, FRM, all these <laughs> all these degrees we get. It's just there's nothing like being around 5,000 people every day but, and just knocking around markets. This is what fascinates me in terms of what's going on right now with Bitcoin, because I've seen... 
you know, a crash from a thousand. And we we wrote these stories about how the masses got pulled in and now it's all over and the fat lady has sung. And I saw the crash at 17,000. And everyone, we wrote stories that said, this is it. We called the game. It's over now. And we're doing that again today, which makes me sort of simultaneously laugh and and puke to some extent. But (laughs) what what fascinates me is the mechanics of what's happening here. Who's selling? Why? Are there margin stops, you know, are, are margin calls, um, uh, you know, forcing this liquidation? Are we seeing any big whales get out of, um, you know, wallets that haven't moved forever? Is this all retail? Is this institutional? Are people selling short? Like, this is what I wonder about what's going on right now. Well, that's the key thing, Matt, and I'd love to see people sh- selling short, a bull market, get backing up to so- good support with fundamentally good drivers. So I think that um, should continue continue and for a little while but this is how you make bottoms in markets as far as who's selling oftentimes you find that out later when the market's already recovered so it's kind of hard to tell now but i fully expect this is just a speculative asset access is hitting their stops and by the way you know that's oftentimes we used to say in trading pits hey where's the stops because you want to hit them and that's when you know where you get you run through the prices and then you put in a bottom or a peak if it's in a bull market right now it's just i think putting near a bottom in a bull market as you just run through these these people got a little too bullish around 60 and probably getting <laughs> <laughs> a little too bearish around 30. Hey, Mike, you know, right, let's put this uh, technical trading or this capitulation trade aside for just a moment. If I'm a fundamental investor, what are the next data points I should be focusing on for Bitcoin? Uh, well, I think the next key thing is it, I think it holds around 30. I doubt it gets much below. And then to see how it gravitates, the key thing I'm looking at is the macro. How does the stock market respond to this? And the stock market continues to show just to maybe have a normal 10% correction, which used to be history. What does that mean for the iterations from the macro? And to me, that's where the Bitcoin is different from all the cryptos. It is macro and macro only. That's what matters the most. And to me, that's what's going to matter. So as far as technical levels, a lot of times this is like this to me, it's kind of like noise in the big picture. If you look back at this from the future, hypothetically, five years from now, we're going to be- look back at this. It's like, okay, finally, we had some time for this that massive rally in the stock market just to mean revert and normalize a little bit. And it made everything kick in like the Fed and, mass- and fiscal monetary stimulus has to pick up. And then we see these predominant deflationary forces like look at crude oil it just probably peaked around 70 and guess what in 10 years we're not going to be using much of it <laughs> we're all <laughs> driving electric cars but that's the key thing where bitcoin comes in it's that rapidly advancing technology and innovation reshaping the world with kathy, kathy woods touched on this is part of the whole world getting banked and by the way there's no <laughs> the monetary policy is fixed you don't have to worry about more bitcoins coming on to me that's what's going to come on and as far as levels they're kind of noise but you know getting back above fifty thousand. I think will be the next key threshold. Sustaining above below 30 would be a bit of a problem for a while. But for me, the last thing I want to do is focus on the day trade. It's the macro and the bigger picture. And I think we're more likely to head towards 100 um, than sustain below 30 this year. Agree with you 100%. But you know, it's the day traders yeah. <laughs> and Wall Street bets that get the headlines. Yeah. Um, it, it's the momentary moves that spur people to, to call the game. By the way, Elon Musk... I don't know if you saw this, Mike, but he just tweeted. <laughs> that, uh, he he just tweeted that he has that Tesla has diamond hands, uh. <laughs> which is for those who don't know, kind of Wall Street bets Reddit jargon for someone who absolutely refuses to roll over and sell. He will not capitulate. It's kind of what he's saying now, but you can never trust Elon, or at least I think crypto investors won't won't be able to trust him. Um, 
to to stick to his word because he seems to go back and forth. He seems to waffle on his commitment to crypto and to Bitcoin. And it's also, I think, interesting that he embraces Doge because <laughs> serious crypto investors um, are sickened by Doge or at least um, embarrassed by it, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I look at the whole Doge saga and him getting in Saturday Night Live is we're going to look back at that and, and from the future and say, okay, well, that was the peak in speculative excesses and all those 10,000 cryptos that don't really matter anymore. Now there's only like 10 that really matter, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then a few others. And, uh, you know, I, I look at right now, it's just, let's fix it and put an iteration on this. Let's say by, you know, end of the year, we sustain above 50,000. What does that mean? Bitcoin just survived another of the thousand cuts. It's, it's, withdraw, it's hit, it's, it's been hit, hit, hit it for 10 years. Markets are used to this. And if you're allocating to the space, you should be, you know, a small percentage of your portfolio expected to drop 50%. And if you don't, then you're too you're overweight. But give it five, 10 years, and it's, it's a major 10x. And if it doesn't continue being, being the digital version of gold, well, the world's going digital. Something else will, <laughs> and it's just a matter of time. Bitcoin's already won that race. So I look at it as Bitcoin and gold together it can't analyze gold without it and this type of dip i expect them both to appreciate out of this and most notably if we see let's say the stock market actually goes back to unchanged on the year just imagine the iterations from the fed what do you mike does it give you any concern here that it, it, the elon musk of the world can have such an outsized yeah. impact on this uh, security it maybe we're peak musk <laughs> we might be okay. hitting peak <laughs> musk with Senate live but the key thing is also i like to say the fact that the world's largest automaker by market cap is allocated to this digital reserve asset makes significant sense but it also might be marking a peak for tesla i mean who else can't in the world cannot make electric cars i mean everybody can now i drive a chevy volt i love it because i don't have range anxiety and of course it's it's, it's a poor man's tesla so maybe it's peak dude Musk. i love it i love it too <laughs> i gotta tell you um i have always loved that car and uh, beyond the the specific chevy volt Hybrids are the answer. Yeah. I don't know why anyone um, has to be dedicated to 100% battery, battery electric vehicles. I know we're going off on a tangent here. But for me, um, why not have a range extender, as BMW calls you know, their uh, three-cylinder engines that they throw in the i8 and the i3? But why not have I that extra security? And you can use the battery most of the time, be good for the environment most of the time. When you need it, throw in a little bit of internal combustion. Well, Matt, I think that's very <laughs> relevant to the, the current topic. It's called innovation and rapidly advancing technology disrupting what's happening. So right now, the infrastructure is just not there for all electric cars. The infrastructure is still not there for digital assets. We don't have an ETF in the U.S. And guess what? It's a matter of time. The rest of the world's proven there's no problem with ETFs. By the way, I used to run, uh, you know, I remember a natural gas ETF. It went to zero and, and some things like that. So to me, yeah. what you're, we're, we're in the midst of rapidly, I think, one of the most significant periods in history of technologies taking over, pressuring inflationary forces and we're seeing a little bit of that normalization today bitcoin's part of it it just this is part of that adjustment i think we're going to look back at this from the future when there's etfs and when the volatility in bitcoin drops to about the same as gold which it probably will because guess what the only thing that's uncertain is is demand mm. and um all car cars will be electric but i'll end on this one key point just because of efficiency that you mentioned in cars total consumption of u.s liquid fuels is exactly the same as it was 20 years ago yet gdp and production has increased over 100 percent that's just efficiency now everything is yeah. going electronic and it's an you know, electrification digitalization decarbonization it's all kicking in 
everything gets more efficient. You know, even my 911 gets 40 miles a gallon now, which is pretty <laughs> insane. Um, the way you uh, drive? Oh, my God. <laughs> my, well, no, not the way I drive. When my wife drives it. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. I know you're super busy today. You can see Mike's work um, today on the T-Live blog. We've got a, a top live blog, which is excellent, an excellent way to follow events like this. Um, just type T-L-I-V, go on your Bloomberg terminal to continue um, keeping up with what's going on in Bitcoin. Also, I hope I can get Mike on my television program later. I'm on <laughs> Bloomberg TV at 1 p.m. for an talk hour. Talk to his people. I'm going to have my people talk to his people and see if we can get him. We have Fed Minutes will be released today, uh, 2 p.m. Wall Street time. And I think most observers are going to be you know, taking a look at how the Fed uh, views inflation. It has been fairly consistent across the board saying, hey, this inflation that you're seeing in the economy is transitory uh, and it should not be a concern for this economic rebound. Uh, but that's clearly one of the key issues that the market is focusing on. Now, let's bring in our good friend, Danielle DiMartino Booth. She is the CEO and Director of Intelligence for Quill Intelligence. She's also a former advisor at the Dallas Federal Reserve and a Bloomberg Opinion contributor. Also uh, is the author of the book entitled Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America. Danielle, thanks so much for taking the time here. What are you going to be looking for here as in these Fed minutes uh, later this afternoon? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me this morning. And, you know, I will be tuned in uh, to what Clarida mentioned uh, a few days ago, and, and that is that he's going to be attuned and attentive to incoming data. Uh, you know, being a, a former Fed insider, goodness. it's it's not un, unheard of for the minutes to nod to changes in between the end of the meeting and the time that's passed since then. And, you know, what what we can say is that there's been a lot of mixed messaging. We started to see the commodities complex come off of its highs. This is going to be very reassuring for anybody inside the Fed who's sticking to their transitory um, narrative. But by the same token, there is an undeniability about the, the the stickiness in some of the prices that we're seeing. So you don't buy the transitory narrative, although I will say if I look at the commodities complex right now, uh, there are some serious red arrows everywhere you look just today. Right. And one day, of course, a trend does not make. But you don't think that this inflation we're going to see is 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 only momentary. Well, I think that there are certain areas that are showing, again, stickiness. We're seeing, we're seeing that in steel and iron ore in specific pockets. Um, but I'm actually in the camp that does not believe in the inflation expectations narrative because it's got such a tight correlation purely with the commodities index. So I prefer the Cleveland Fed inflation gauge, which, which takes into context labor costs. And if you look at the Atlanta Feds that have kind of a real-time labor gauge, it really isn't flashing red just yet. And, you know, where I live in Texas, next week is the last week of school. We've got a ton of high school students who are going to be hitting uh, the, the labor market, and wages are a lot higher than they've been in past summers. They might think of doing things other than being a lifeguard because <laughs> there, there might be enough of a pull for low-skilled positions especially the 500,000 that are open among manufacturers, they're mostly low-skilled positions. But these kids can make a lot over the next three months between Memorial Day and Labor Day. 
That's a great point, Danielle, because I guess we had the news, you know, earlier in the week about McDonald's raising its, you know, minimum wage to $13 and Amazon to $15 and uh, even Bank of America America, uh, talking $25 here. Is that just kind of anecdotal news in your mind or is that indicative of maybe some wage inflation creeping into this economy? Well, again, we're not seeing it picked up in the aggregate measures just yet. Okay. And we have to remember that there are still so many small businesses in this country that can't afford to compete uh, with the larger big box retailers, the, the Banks of America, as you say. So we're definitely seeing a grab for labor. What we don't know is what the other side of September the 6th looks like when these um, supplemental unemployment benefits expire. And we've already heard from Joe Manchin, who's arguably the most powerful person in, inside the Beltway, that he's not going to sign on for an, an extension of the extra $300 per week. So, again, we've got two, two flows yeah. into the labor market between teenagers, and once they go back to school, you're going to have millions of Americans who are, who are going to be faced with the choice of, well, gee, I might have to go back to work because I can't make as much, I can't sustain myself anymore on these unemployment benefits. I got and it. schools will be reopening nationwide. Yep. I got a, just a minute left here, Danielle, but a question from a financial professional, a listener who um, who also has seen you speak in the past and appreciates your um, your views. He, he wants to know if you think any other central bank will blink before the Fed or does the Fed have to move before the rest of the global central banks do it? Oh, gracious. We've already heard from the Bank of Canada as, as well as some of the emerging markets, Brazil for one. We know that other banks are going to start the tapering process, and they've indicated that they're going to do that while the Fed is maintaining that they're not thinking about thinking about the taper discussion, <laughs> Rob Kaplan, you know, notwithstanding. So, uh, no, I, I, I think it's feasible that the Fed not be first out of the gate. That would be abnormal. And so you think and even the important, the big ones like the ECB and the Bank of England could move first? That's a different story. You know, they're, the, the level of quantitative easing that they're pumping out, John Authors had a great column a few days ago. It's, it's higher than it was when the pandemic first hit, when you're talking about the ECB and even, even the Fed and the Bank of England. I don't know. I, I still sense a lot of reticence on the part of the big four central banks. All right, Danielle, thanks so much for joining us. Danielle DiMartino Booth there. She is the CEO of Quill Intelligence. Of course, she's a former advisor at the Dallas Federal Reserve as well. Also a Bloomberg Opinion contributor, as is John Authors. You can find columns from both of them. Just type O-P-I-N Go. I want to talk about what's going on in retail. We had a slew of earnings yesterday and then a slew today as well. Let's bring in Ty Lopez to see who winners and losers are. Executive Chairman of Retail E-Commerce Ventures. Um, Ty, what do you think now that we've seen uh, Target, TJ Maxx, Lowe's, Home Depot, Macy's, uh, Walmart? Where do you think, uh, which business do you think is um, best poised to succeed in a reopening? Yeah. Thanks for having me. I would say the better question is what's not going to do well? Not much. I just read an interesting report <laughs> by Adobe on e-com. And, uh, for example, 10% of Americans had, who are now shopping e-com had never bought anything at the beginning of the pandemic. That's 30 million new people entered just because of the pandemic. So that momentum, I mean, this thing's wild clothing's up for us. We're in all kinds. We own Radio Shack Electronics, all this stuff. 
we haven't seen anything uh, do anything but surge. So I think there's probably some B2C stuff, maybe something that supports commercial real estate. That's about the only thing I know that's getting hit right now. So it's a great time to be in retail, especially if you have that e-com, you know, if you have the flair for e-com. By the, by the way, your business, so you invest in companies that have well-known brands but didn't do uh, great as brick-and-mortar stores. You mentioned Radio Shack, but also Models, um, uh, uh, Pier, yeah, Pier One. One, linens and things, yeah. Yes. So, so how is that going then? It's been, you know, we started buying before the pandemic, and it was going well then, and uh, this is, thing has just super tr- – what would have taken – until 2030 happened last in the last 12 months without a doubt so there's been just we fast forwarded 10 years as i said 30 million people according to one survey in the united states that's just the u.s and of course e-com is very easy to go global with so you have you know 15 of people in the uk had never shopped e-com before covid so everything is just pointing to of course we knew this was going to happen if you, it, we would all predict our great grandchildren would be completely digital and how they do things. Well, guess what? It happened right now. So <laughs> you don't have to wait for your grandchildren to live that life. You're living it right now. All right, Ty. So as we think about retail, one of the key issues here, and it's probably been accelerated because of the pandemic and this uh, acceleration in e-commerce, is are there still too many stores out there? Um, you know, a lot of it's right sized itself. I think you see everybody from Victoria's Secret down has kind of right-sized their stores. Um, we'll probably start, for right. period one, we'll probably start opening stores back up. All right. All right, Ty, thanks so much. We're going to have to leave it there because we have uh, some breaking news here. Ty Lopez, Executive Chairman, Retail E-Commerce Ventures. We appreciate that. A risk-off day today for sure, particularly as you look at some of the uh, cryptocurrencies. Again, uh, you know, it's Bitcoin is off about uh, 12% now, having uh, its decline from earlier in the day. So perhaps a little bit of a correction there. Let's get a sense of, you know, kind of how we should step back here on days like today and maybe take a look at the bigger picture. We, we can do that today with David Kudla. He's a founder. CEO and Chief Investment Strategist for Mainstay Capital. David, thanks so much for joining us. A great day to chat with you, given what's going on in the markets here. So let's take a step back. What do you make of the markets here today, the equity markets, the crypto markets? Uh, is this just kind of a, a, a healthy pullback, or is it something more? Well, we've had a, a good run here from, you know, really over the past uh, 12 months in the markets, and, and we, we're rolling here into May with the markets at all-time highs, uh, margin debt at all-time highs, and we're seeing a day here. I think it's uh, triggered by the this massive sell-off in crypto, but we're seeing some uh, certainly risk-off across the board, and I think some of that's to be expected. But you know, it, it is giving investors a chance to take a look at their portfolios and, and understand where, how they're allocated and, and, and where they might want to be allocated, and we think this is a an, an opportunity to take a hard look at that. Uh, certainly, uh, in the crypto space, we're seeing uh, uh, some massive sell-off in Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so forth. Well, we're seeing sell-off sell-offs across 
the board, really, David. I mean, if I look at, um, well, we got a GMN, Global Macro Movers function on the Bloomberg, and there's just red across the screen. Equity index is selling down. Forex um, is selling off, and it looks like um, pretty much everything against the dollar is down. Commodities, we have copper down, WTI, soybeans, um, iron ore all selling off. Uh, you know where uh, where do you take advantage of this if if you want to if you've got dry powder cash to put to to work where would you put it? So you know today notwithstanding, we think that it makes sense for investors to uh, continue to look at the value trade, value oriented stocks, and those reflation or inflation trades. Uh, you know, technology was clearly a place to be last year, but our our mantra has been to to. Con- Continue to rotate into value, and we still think it makes sense to do that. Even the and in commodities, for that matter, uh, some of the ETF ETFs like uh, COM, the Direxion uh, commodity strategy, uh, XLB, the Spider material select sector. Even though we've seen lumber, uh, which had gone to astronomic levels, has had a, a significant correction here, uh, and some of the commodities have corrected uh, going forward. With the inflationary pressures, with the demand that will still be there, uh, we think it makes sense. And those uh, areas help to diversify our stock portfolio. Uh, in, in past days and weeks, we've seen uh, good diversification benefits with our stocks. We, we think that makes sense to continue in the value trade because we've literally seen a route in tech stocks. Uh, so we think that continues to make, make sense for investors. All right, David, just real quickly, um, what's your sector that you guys are most excited about right here, right now? 30 seconds. Right now, we think that it makes sense to uh, value-oriented stocks, uh, infrastructure plays, uh, ETFs like uh, PAVE, the Global X, US US infrastructure ETF, uh, and then uh, the uh, the small-cap, mid-cap, large-cap value and cyclically-oriented stocks. Mm. Uh, you can get that uh, through ETFs uh, like the Pacer U.S. Small Cap, mm. uh, Cash Cows, A-L-F. Uh, those plays make a lot of sense right here. David, thanks so much for joining us. David Kudla, they really appreciate your time and your insight, especially on a day like this. This is Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.